0: You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. When you think of the Civil War veteran, you think of GAR parades, UCV encampments, old men missing an arm or a leg, embracing at a battlefield reunion. When you think of a Vietnam veteran, many picture homeless, VA hospitals, post-traumatic stress disorder. Our guest today, Eric Dean, will tell us that the two may have more in common than we think. He's the author of Shook Over Hell, Post-Traumatic Stress, Vietnam, and the Civil War. And this is Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Writers Wanted at the 6th Annual La Jolla Writers Conference, October 20 through 22, 2006, where New York Times best selling authors, editors, agents, publicists, screenwriters, and poets will help you find your voice and perfect your craft. Get feedback on your work from New York Times bestsellers James Gripondo, Linda Leo Miller, Steve Berry, Margaret Weiss, Catherine Ryan Hyde, and a host of other outstanding authors. Participate in reading and critique classes with renowned literary agents and editors and know that you can later submit to them on a first-name basis. Hone your screenwriting skills with Alan Russell and Warren Lewis, the writer of Black Rain, The 13th Warrior, and other movies, and find out what it takes to get your small press book on the shelves of Barnes & Noble with Marcella Smith of their New York office and Jan Nathanson of PMA. Whether you write fiction or nonfiction, whether you're looking to jumpstart your writing career or simply hone your craft, join the unique writing community of the La Jolla Writers' Conference October 20th through 22nd. For more information, check us out at LaJollaWritersConference.com or call 858-467-1978. The La Jolla Writers' Conference, turning writers into authors and authors into bestsellers. Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To reach a show host or guest during a live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068.
0: Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from Greenville, North Carolina, and the campus of East Carolina University, but giving our daily legal disclaimer, speaking only on behalf of myself. My guest speaks on his behalf. None of us represent the university in any way. Although I will share with listeners the uh, personal good news that I'm a step closer to representing a university permanently As the Department Tenure Committee voted this past week to uh, admit me into their their exalted ranks to move one step further on the tenure ladder, uh, it still must go to the dean, to the provost, to the chancellor, to the grand wazir, and so on, until eventually everybody has signed this letter, but the first step, I'm told, is the uh, the biggest, and I'm, I'm... just happy to share with you all that that I'm getting there. Indeed, I need never do once this is final another lick of work the rest of my life. But uh, uh, as as you know, most people in academia don't actually take advantage of that. We we work all the harder for being free of the burdens of uh, of ordinary bureaucratic uh, oversight. So uh, with that. Uh, taken care of, I'd like to move on today to our guest, Eric T. Dean, Jr., author of Shook Over Hell, uh, *Vietnam*, or Post-Traumatic Stress, Vietnam and the Civil War. Eric, are you with us here? Uh, I'm here. Great. Glad you are here. Eric, this promises to be the best show ever on Civil War Talk Radio, and the reason is because I am the worst prepared I have ever been for a show. I <laughs> just realized an hour before airtime that I had failed uh, to send the note I send to every guest with all the information of where to call and what to do. And uh, I was never more relieved than to hear the engineer say, your guest is on line one, uh, than I was a few minutes ago. Thank you for being with us today, even though I didn't get you the information in a timely way.
2: Oh, I programmed it into my BlackBerry, so there was no way I was going to forget. Well, that's that's the way it's done in the modern world. I was using a quill pen. Uh. <laughs>
0: didn't get done. The other thing, and I'll say it up front, and I apologize to you, is this is the first time I've done a show with a guest with a book whose book I have not actually read, ah. and I apologize for that. I went to the university library to get it this week and read it, and to their shame, they didn't have a copy. So I went to the local public library, same thing, and I ended up reading your article in North and South Magazine, which touches on the topic, and ah I, I, I hope I can... Uh, get enough questions out of that, uh, but I will be uh, learning much more, uh, learning along with our listeners who haven't had a chance to read it yet, and I'm looking forward to reading it when, uh, when, when I get the library to get one over here on Interlibrary Loan. Ah, great. Sounds good. So, uh, but let me start with some background questions. What, um, As I ask uh, everyone on the show, what got you interested in the Civil War in the first place?
2: Uh, well, I was a history major as an undergraduate at Sorthmore College. Um, but after um, after getting my B.A., I went off to the Peace Corps for three years to South Korea and worked in uh, public health there. Came back, went to law school for three years at Indiana University at Bloomington and then went pr- and practiced law. So I would pretty much set aside my uh, training in history. But once I was practicing law, I practiced as um, a small town lawyer in Crawfordsville. I was in Crawfordsville, Indiana, which is essentially where I grew up. My father taught religion and philosophy at Wabash College in Crawfordsville, so I went back to my hometown and uh, set up my own practice as a, sol- a solo. And I had uh, once I got established and had customers coming in the door and referrals and all that, and felt pretty comfortable in my practice. I decided I needed some intellectual stimulation, so I went to uh, nearby Purdue University. It's down the road. It's about 25 miles from Crawfordsville, West Lafayette, Indiana. So I went to Purdue and, and uh, just took evening courses for fun, you know, one at a time. They would have a seminar, you know, three hours one evening. And um, I started out, I think I took Tudor Stewart, Engl- England, and some various courses like that. But then I, uh, took a seminar with Hal Woodman, Harold D. Woodman, who's, uh, he's emeritus now at Purdue. And I think it was a seminar in, uh, 19th century U.S. history, as I recall. And we did some core reading, and then, uh, we had to come up with a seminar paper. So I was poking around, uh, trying to think if there was something original I could look at. And at the time, and this was back in the 1980s, and at that time, and even now, uh, but particularly back then, there was so much attention paid to the Vietnam veteran. And on TV and newspapers, uh, I think we were bombarded at the time with the idea that the Vietnam veteran was really in a crisis. Uh had come back from Vietnam, been ignored, and, and developed uh, delayed stress reactions that were just taking a terrible toll. And uh, there were a lot of articles on how many Vietnam veterans were homeless, uh the assertion was made, subsequently proved to be quite false, that more Vietnam veterans had committed suicide than had died in the war. Huh. So it was, uh, it was a hot topic, so to speak. So I thought, you know, can we get some perspective on this by looking at the 19th century? So I went over to uh, the um, state archives over in Indianapolis just to poke around and see what I could find. And remarkably, the uh, mental health records, In Indiana are open. Anything older, I think it's 70 years. Anything older than 70 years uh, is open to review without any restriction. So I started poking around to see what I could find on Civil War era, and remarkably, I came up with uh, just off the bat uh, came up with um, case histories of soldiers during the war and veterans after the war who were admitted to the the they called it the insane asylum at that time uh, in crisis. You know, people who were couldn't sleep, just babbling about the war, had flashbacks, um, that sort of thing. So it was remarkably similar to the Vietnam uh, phenomenon of post-traumatic stress disorder, and that got me started. So ten years later, my book came out.
0: Well, so so that that's a, a delightful success story to, to to get a seminar topic, seminar paper topic that goes all the way through to to dissertation and, and publication.
2: Yeah, it's so unusual. Um I, I think because these uh these records have never really been looked at. Uh when I went over to the State Archives I looked through their index to see what mental health records were available and they had the admissions ledgers, you know, from the Indiana Hospital for the Insane. I think they were just up on top of some cabinet, you know, collecting dust and nobody'd really bothered to look at them. Not that there's a lot in there. You know, back in the nineteenth century record keeping was a little spotty. Uh, Particularly in the Civil War era, it it is until about 1890s through 1910 that you get modern record keeping. So there wasn't much there, but it was a start. It was very intriguing. Wow!
0: So you did that. So so you were, as you started this project, and you were doing this as as something involving night school. You were still working full time, Mm -hmm. uh, practicing law. We're going to talk mostly about uh, your work, but I'm a little curious about that. Um, I myself went to law school and practiced for a few years before deciding to go back and get a graduate degree in history. And I'm curious to know how you feel your, your legal training and your historical training uh, interact, how one helps the other or, or hinders the other.
2: Oh, I think, um, I think a law degree um, helps one analyze just about any any field of study. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie and the book, uh, The Paper Chase. Oh, yes. Professor Kingsfield, as I recall, declares to the first-year law students that he's going to convert their head full of mush into a well known legal machine or something like that.
0: That's right.
2: And uh, I think it's true. I think uh, lawyers uh, pay great attention to words. And I think uh, my three years in law school and my subsequent practice of law sort of gave me an analytical framework and approach to things that uh, I guess I consider revolutionary. So I look back at my time as an undergrad in college, and I think I was pretty sloppy and not particularly effective, but I think law school, after law school, I came at things with a a real excitement and enthusiasm and uh, ability to analyze, so I think that served me very well. Not that other people can't do it. Um, I look at... Uh, and my professor at at Purdue, Hal Woodman, or some of my favorite heroes in history, like David Potter, and uh, their writing, or James McPherson, and I think their writing is just uh, so excellent, and their analytical abilities are, are just brilliant. So it's not that you have to have a law degree, but I think it helps, and in my case, it really made all the difference.
0: Well, I, I would just I guess put an underline under that. I I could have said almost the same thing word for word. I, I found my uh that law school was was very challenging and really disciplines the mind and graduate school afterwards was not nearly the hazing experience that some people found it to be uh mm-hmm. for me because law school had already uh put me through that ringer and, and I was able to do do uh, work more easily because of that yeah uh, now you you however a much did a much smarter thing than I did. you continue to practice law today. <laughs> so you're not like flirting with the poverty level like like those of us working for the state here. Uh, yeah, I um Do you keep up your writing and research? What's that? Uh, do you keep up
2: uh, do you, Civil War research or writing? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I've been down to Gettysburg about three times, most recently to the Civil War Institute um, in June to give a talk. So I sort of stay uh, in the field and then now and, now and again write an article. It would be nice to... Uh, Go off at some time in the future and write a second book. It takes more time off than work from work than what I have. But what you say is so true. Really, the only thing, the only reason I could go to grad school successfully was at the time I was single and had a lot of money saved up. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, after grad school, I looked at the horizon and and realized that uh, continuing as an academic is is very hard, particularly when you have loans to pay off. So, absolutely, uh, I'm practicing law and I'm earning a great deal more than I could in history. So it'd be fun to go back someday, though. Um, I'm sort of torn between the two worlds, as you, as I'm sure you understand, with a PhD and a JD. Each world has its attractions. Law is very practical and immediate, uh, and I like that. You know, the phenomenon of clients coming in and wanting a problem solved. Um, compared to that, history is much more sort of theoretical and sort of detached. But that world is nice too. I mean, it's it's a world of ideals and and pure ideas, which is very rewarding. Although the pace is very slow compared to law, it, it is
0: uh, with the exception of teaching, which, which does give you some of that immediate feedback when you mm-hmm. have a discussion with uh, some, you know, a bright student who's interested in what you're doing, or better still, with a, a dull student who you get some glimmer in their eyes after they've, they've they've taken a class from you. That's a a nice short-term reward. Yeah. And, uh,
2: uh, well, I realized I... how exhausting it can be too. My father was—he taught religion and philosophy for 30 years, and when I complained about uh, how tough it was preparing for a jury trial, he would always say, "Well, teaching is exhausting too." Oh yeah. I, I never quite believed him until I did it myself. And you walk out of class after, and you feel like you are drenched with sweat, like you've just been uh, delivering a performance. You know. It is. It's,
0: it is a form of performance, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but but it, it is one of the. the recompenses of the academic life. And did I mention uh, the tenure committee vote today? I think I did. Yeah, Uh,
2: congratulations.
0: Thank you very much. I'm I'm just uh, sort of giddy here. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's a great relief after. My wife pointed out I left the law firm 20 years ago this year. uh, Wow. Seven years or so in grad school, nine years at a museum, uh, four years here, if that adds up to the right amount of numbers. So... uh, it has been a long road from the time i first got into uh, uh returned to academia and, and to actually get to this level is is a great relief but yeah uh, great
2: uh, let's talk about uh, you what do you think of my tenure now uh, sorry just kidding um <laughs> oh, cause i always congratulate anyone who reaches that uh, milestone because it's so hard it, it, it is uh, it is a milestone, I will say. Yeah. Well,
0: But I, I do want to get back to the uh, the veterans, which is what we're here to, to discuss. So you had this experience of finding these, these mental health records in Indiana just sitting out there. And in one sense, I'm not surprised. I, I, I did spend nine years in Indiana in Fort Wayne, and the idea that the state would just leave the mental health records out for anyone to look at, given the, uh, I'm not sure what the adjectives that I want for the state government, but it doesn't surprise me that there would be that uh, uh, that, that sort of random, accidental accessibility. The, the the state flags, for example, I'm sure you know the story of the the regimental flags of the Indiana regiments.
2: Oh, they let them deteriorate and then have they were to... in the
0: basement exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, fortunately, I, g- I gather they're being restored.
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, well, back then the archives was uh, it wasn't very professional. I think. Not only were these books just sitting on the top of a shelf, but I, I think they periodically just threw out so much material without really having a, a professional evaluate it. So you wonder what they could have kept and didn't. Well, we're going to
0: take a short break, and when we come back we'll talk uh, more specifically about what you found in these sources, what other sources you looked at, and, and see if we can draw some comparisons between the, uh, the, the eras of Civil War and Vietnam. We'll be back in just a minute with our guest Eric Dean on Civil War Talk Radio.